The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here this morning to study in the word of God. We are studying Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> we are looking at verses 16 through 26. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the translation that we have for those verses. We're going to review quickly the principles that we've already looked at, and then we'll pick up from there. Uh, I am going to need to cut off. I know we got started late because of the technical problems we've had this morning, but I'm actually going to have to stop a little early as well because I'm going to have to reboot all the electronics in the building and try to get the uh, Internet back up again and, uh, and also uh, help Jesse get prepared for next hour. But before uh, we do anything, let's take a moment, make sure that we are properly prepared for the study of the Word of God, that we are in fellowship with God. This entails confession of sin if necessary so that we might be filled with the Spirit. And uh, this also requires humility, that we humble ourselves before the Spirit, allowing His teaching ministry to help us to understand the Scriptures and in order to be able to learn these things, shall we pray. Most gracious and merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with this opportunity to gather here at the church this morning. Uh, we thank you that you have provided everything we need in order to be able to have a face-to-face -face study this morning, the fellowship time that we've already had, the teaching that we're about to enjoy. We ask that you would bless us with understanding through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that between what he is able to teach us through the truth of your word, that we are able to not only understand more about you, but understand more about what you expect of us so that we might indeed live our lives in such a way that we're pleasing in your sight and we bring honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right, our translation. I have it up here somewhere. There it is. Uh, let's take a look at our translation. Beginning in verse 16, but now I say walk by means of the Spirit and you will definitely not carry out the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh has desires contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit contrary to the flesh. For these are enemies of one another with the result that you may not do the things that you want to do. But since you're being led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the products of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, moral impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, discord, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, heresies, envying, drunken sprees, excessive partying, and things like these, of which I tell you in advance, just as I have previously warned you, that those who continually engage in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's talking about unbelievers there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, <clears throat> gentleness, self-control. There is no law that prohibits such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. Since we are spiritually alive by means of the Spirit, let, all, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become arrogant, provoking one another, 
envying one another. That's our translation, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. And now we see the principles. This, again, is review of what we looked at. I guess it was Wednesday a week ago. We looked at the principles. We began looking at the principles for verses 16 through 26. At the moment of salvation, every born-again believer is given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we looked at Romans 8, 9, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, and Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Part of the reason that we emphasize that is because there is teaching out there that claims that believers who are uh, born again, uh, they do not receive the Spirit at the moment of their salvation. There's some blessing that comes after salvation where they receive the Holy Spirit. These are charismatic churches, and they will claim that you will have to have some uh, experience, some uh, emotional experience, uh, speaking in tongues or rolling down the aisle or whatever it might be uh, that's part of receiving the Holy Spirit post-salvation. But the scriptures do not say that. The scriptures tell us that the moment you, that if you are indeed a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit. In fact, you've been sealed with the Spirit. He's been given to you as a pledge of your inheritance. Uh, this grace blessing for believers in the current dispensation of the church was not given to Old Testament saints. We looked at 1 Samuel 6.14 and Psalm 51.11. The first case was where Saul had the spirit taken away, and then Psalm 51 is where David is asking God not to take away the spirit. Well, that's not a prayer we need to pray. We don't need to be concerned that God's going to take the Holy Spirit away from us because he's been given to us as a pledge. He is given to us as a seal of our salvation, we have the Holy Spirit. We cannot lose the Holy Spirit. That is, though, not, not true, again, of the Old Testament saints, but it's true of church-age saints. So that's one of the things that's different. Remember, one of the things Jesus talked about is how the Spirit was going to be sent to us uh, as a helper, a comforter, so on and so forth, a teacher. Uh, the Holy Spirit was going to be sent to us. And so in this dispensation, we have a a blessing of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. At the moment of salvation, we were also made spiritually alive by means of the Spirit, Titus 3, 5. We looked at that. So uh, that's the idea of being born again, by the way. You're made spiritually alive. You were spiritually dead prior to your salvation, and now you're spiritually alive. And by the way, it is the human spirit that interacts with the Holy Spirit, and that is our, if you will, our, our connection to God. And so through uh, the human spirit, uh, our now living human spirit, we have a connection uh, to God through the Holy Spirit himself. Given that, it follows that we should live our lives by means of the Spirit. I mean, if you, if Colossians 2, 6, uh, as we have received him, so also we should walk in him. The idea is that <clears throat> if this is how you were born again, by means of the Spirit, then that's how you ought to walk, by means of the Spirit. I mean, that's how you started your spiritual life. That's how you should continue in your spiritual life. It follows. That makes perfect sense. Uh, when we live our lives by means of the Spirit, we absolutely will not carry out the lust of the flesh. This is a promise of God. It is critical and important to understand this. If you are walking by means of the Spirit, you will not sin, which means when you fall into sin, somewhere along the way, you stopped walking by means of the Spirit. That's what that means. Uh, at some point, you took your eyes off of Christ, you, you uh, quit, I'm trying, I was trying to come up with a better word than that, you ceased 
yielding yourself to the indwelling Holy Spirit and you started walking uh, independent of God, basically. Now, maybe, and, and by the way, there are all kinds of theological discussions as to when sin actually begins. Did you sin when you stopped walking by means of the Spirit? Because we're told in the Scriptures that we're supposed to walk by means of the Spirit. So when you stopped walking by means of the Spirit, well, you were already into sin because you were disobeying what the Word told you to do. So you can make arguments about that, but the bottom line is the idea is i believe because it says if you're walking by means of the spirit you will not sin i believe that at some point we can take our eyes off of jesus we can stop being humble before the spirit and walking by means of the spirit without sinning and then what we've done is we've basically done the equivalent of the ephesians 6 idea of dropping our armor right we were wearing the armor of god we've dropped it now we're utterly exposed and the evil one and his minions and the world and the flesh and everything else that goes with it is now we're totally susceptible to all of that. And then we fall into sin. Does that make sense? So it's important to understand the, import, the, the idea that we can protect ourselves from sin. God has given us a means of protecting ourselves from sin. As long as we walk by means of the Spirit, we will not fall into sin. However, if we don't avail ourselves of that protection... Just like if we don't avail ourselves of the armor of God, what, what's going to happen, right? What do we have? We're going to, we're going to be susceptible and we're going to fall into sin. <clears throat> this is one of the many grace provisions God has given to allow us to maintain fellowship of, with him, right? If we break fellowship, we can confess our sins. We have a language of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that language that we're going to wear Christ, put him on and wear him, uh, laying aside of the old self, the renewing of the mind putting on the new self, all of these things are provisions that God has given us to maintain fellowship. Obviously, the first one is if we break fellowship, we can get back into fellowship with him. But the rest of these, the putting on of the Lord Jesus Christ, the laying aside of the old self, the renewing of the mind, the putting on of the new self, all of these things uh, uh, help us to not fall out of fellowship in the first place, right? We are able to continue in fellowship uh, with God, and that is what we should strive for. Confession of sin, by the way, First John one nine, Psalm thirty two three through five. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is Romans thirteen fourteen. Laying aside of the old self, we have it not only in Ephesians four twenty two, but in Colossians three eight and nine. The renewing of the mind, of course, Romans twelve two, but also in uh, Ephesians four twenty three. And then the putting on of the new self, Ephesians four twenty four, and Colossians three ten. Now you can see we have a couple of passages here, Ephesians four. 22 through 24 talks about all these things. And then Colossians 3, 8 through 10 talks about these things that God has given us to protect us from sin. Receiving the word implanted, James 1, 21, that's one of the things. you Don't minimize the importance of that. Receiving the word implanted. As you receive the word of God, as you grow in the faith, as you learn more from the precious word of God, that is a protection factor against falling into sin. Because what does it say? As you dwell on these things, we do not fall into sin, right? We don't fall into sin as we're dwelling on the things of the word of God. Um, Thy word I have received in my heart that I, that I might not sin against thee, right? The idea of the word of God itself uh, is a protection factor, uh, which should be obvious, uh, but James stated it there, laying aside sin and encumbrances from Hebrews 12.1. That's very important. You know, we, we uh, look at the idea of, 
of sin and it's there, you can lay those things aside. You can lay aside sin. It's a, a choice that you can make volitionally. You can say, I'm not going to participate in that. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, rather than engage in sin and anything that might encumber my spiritual life. And that's going to, that's going to avail me of God's provision and allow me to stay away from sin. And then, of course, our, pass, our verse here, walking by means of the Spirit. And finally, we saw from 2 Peter 1, 4 through 10, a great passage, by the way. This is one that all of us should be familiar with. 2 Peter 1, 4 through 10, the idea of the spiritual qualities that God is manifesting in us, these wonderful spiritual qualities of agape love, brotherly love, uh, perseverance, uh, self-control, all of these things that God has has given to us as qualities of our spiritual walk. It comes from him. As we, are in, as we are practicing these things, we will not stumble into sin, it says in Second Peter chapter 1. Yes, sir. Is there an in-between? Is there an in-between? I'm in sin, I'm walking in the Spirit. Yep. What about if I'm in neutral? Well, all right, in neutral. <laughs> so... So I believe I believe that some some would some would say no. Some would say it's a it, some would say it's a light switch. It's either on or off, right? You're either walking in fellowship or you're not. Uh, I believe there's a there's a place where we can be. And let me see if I can describe this for you adequately. When we're walking by means of the Spirit, when we are yielded to God, when we're when we're focused on His will and all the things that we're supposed to be doing in fellowship with Him, we're bearing fruit for God, right? We have the fruit of the Spirit passage. We just had the fruit of the Spirit passage with all the things that are mentioned there, so on and so forth, and we're bearing fruit for God. The Scriptures tell us that we can come to a place where we're idle and we're not fruit-bearing, and it doesn't say that that place is, is in sin, right? So if you take your eyes off of Jesus, right, if you take your eyes off of Jesus, if you're no longer really walking by means of the Spirit, you're no longer bearing any fruit, but you're also not carnal. You haven't fallen into sin, but guess what? As I tried to describe a minute ago, the armor's on the ground. You're utterly exposed now. So the chances are you're going to fall into sin unless you realize where you are and get back in where you need to be. You humble yourself before the Holy Spirit. You walk in the way you're supposed to walk. I believe there is a, a neutral zone, but here's the truth of the matter. Most of us don't spend long there, Right? If we get in the neutral, guess what happens? Boom, here comes an arrow from the evil one. That's exactly right. Joseph had it exactly right. Here comes a flaming arrow from the evil one because he's ready. He is, remember, he is prowling or prowling about, seeking to devour. If he or his minions seize your armor down, man, here comes. Here it comes. So I believe there is that place. If you look at scriptures, it kind of describes that. You're not, you're not bearing any fruit. You really aren't focusing on Christ. Uh, you really don't have that, that uh, yieldedness to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. You haven't necessarily fallen into sin at this point. In fact, uh, James talked about the idea that temptation can come our way, but until we succumb, we haven't actually fallen into sin. Well, that's the key. If you think about it, if you're not walking by means of the Spirit, if you're not fixing your eyes on Jesus when that temptation comes, what do you think your chances are that you're going to 
resist the temptation. You're wide open and the temptation is going to overcome you. So I believe there is a, there is a neutral zone, but it, but think about it this way. It's also a bad place to be. I don't want you to think of that as like, well, it's, I'm, I'm not sinning, but think about it. You're not bearing fruit anymore. You're absolutely no longer fruit bearing at that point. And so at that place, you're not honoring God with your life anyway. Yes. We got cold, hot, and lukewarm. You could say that would be a lukewarm place, but that's more describing kind of a fever for God, right? The lukewarm, cold, and hot. Uh, you're better off cold or hot than lukewarm. You don't want to be in that middle zone. Yeah, yes, ma'am? Um, someone said that, you know, Yeah, if you think about it for a second, let's take this example. What Connie's bringing up is the idea if you have Christians that are kind of floating around in that idle state. We'll call it idle. You called it neutral, idle, same sort of thing, right? In that idle state. I mean, Satan will definitely come after, come after you at that point because he wants to see you stumble into sin, right? That's one of his goals. He's got that in mind. But in reality, he's, he's more concerned, if you will, but more concerned about the ones who are really walking the way that they're supposed to be walking because those are the ones that are his, his, more, his worst enemies, right, are the ones that are actually honoring God. But I would say the difference between what you said and what I, think, what I believe the Scriptures say is that when we are exposed like that, when we allow ourselves to become exposed like that, he will definitely cause us to stumble. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, here comes an arrow. Yep. Maybe a pain or two, just a few little ones. If you don't take that armor back up, yeah. then it's like that whole sky is full of them. Yeah, so you can almost think of it. I think, well, I, think, well, I think the picture that Joseph is trying to paint is that when you do drop your armor, right, when you allow yourself to drop the armor of God and you expose yourself, uh, a couple of, uh, the initial thing that's going to happen is a couple of arrows are going to come in. Uh, well, if you don't respond to that, if you don't recognize what's happening and you don't respond to that, most likely if an arrow came in, you already committed some sort of sin. You know, you, 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 got, you got attacked by the adversary and you fell into some sort of sin. If you don't recognize that and then get back where you need to be, right, humbly, quickly, yeah, humbly before God, uh, confess your sins, get back in fellowship, walk by beings of the Spirit, have you ever seen those movies where all of a sudden they launch and you have this whole massive wave of arrows? That's what, that's what the adversary is going to do. If you don't respond to the first couple of pings, that's what he called it, the first couple of arrows that come in, you're going to find, you're, if you look down, your whole chest is full of, full of arrows, right? And that's what's going to happen. I mean, that's a visual, right? But that's what the adversary is going to do. He's going to, he's going to bring it on full force. And so I agree with you 100%. That's why it's so important. That's, that spiritual awareness, by the way, I believe comes as we, more and more as we mature in the faith. We begin to recognize, uh-oh, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> I, need, I need to get back where I'm supposed to be or I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to be in real deep trouble here. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Correct. The picture of the soul. I have a I have a graphic that shows the picture of the soul. And you say, I mean, an example of what Marsha was just bringing up is you turn on the evening news, right? And maybe you turn on the evening news and all you really want to see is the weather. But what happens is they put a news story on right before that 
that's going on and on about how great the pride parade is in Austin, right? So, you're, so inadvertently, I'll say, right, you didn't really go watch the news so that you would see that, but you flipped it on to see the weather, and here you go. You've got ungodly, the debauchery, all this kind of stuff. You're being exposed to that. Well, that's the whole point of always being armored up, right? Because the moment that happens, you need to be aware of what's going on, and if you're if you're fixing your eyes on Jesus, and if you're walking by means of the Spirit, those things are going to basically get rejected. So, boop, nope, that's garbage. But if you're just kind of sitting there in that lukewarm, that idle state, neutral, whatever you want to call it, if you're in that sort of state, you might just listen to that, and who knows? Is that something you're going to buy into? Maybe it's not as extreme as the pride parade. Maybe it's more subtle than that. That's where, you, that's where it can be really dangerous, is they're given some news story, and if you're not really focusing on God then you might hear that thing and you might, you might buy into it. You might think, okay, well, that makes some sense. And it's not godly. It's absolutely ungodly. So it's very important. It's very important to avail yourself of all of this, all of this, uh, in order to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Does that make sense? you got the world, the flesh, and the devil. you got three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you need to be strong in God's strength in order to avoid uh, succumbing to all of that. Um, this is this is the last slide that we did in our previous um, look at these principles. We need to understand that something not good, that is the sin nature, dwells within our flesh, Romans 7.18. It's important to recognize that as you walk around in this world, you are in the presence of a sin nature all the time because it's in your very body. You have a sin nature within your very flesh, Romans 7.18. Uh, when we live according to the flesh, we cannot please God in anything that we do. Romans eight, five through eight. You got to understand that when you're, when you are functioning according to the flesh, instead of according to the spirit, you cannot please God. What you're doing is not pleasing in his sight. Therefore, it's critical to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. And that's where I said I was going to put that picture up. I guess I should do that. I, I mentioned when we had that class that I was going to put that picture up. Let me see if I can. Where do I have that? Is it in here? Let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah. So I mentioned that I was going to put this up, right? So this is sort of this is sort of a picture, a big a big picture, and this gives not only the uh, you can see we got worldly fleshly garbage down here at the bottom, godly biblical truths up at the top. This V plus is talking about our volition. This is a picture of what happens when we're positive, and what I mean what that means is everything we were just talking about. We're we're fixing our eyes on God. We're humble before Him. We are availing ourselves of everything He has. That's the human spirit, which of course. We as believers have, uh, we, we are now alive spiritually. Application center over here, we'll get to that. This is our, this is basically, if you will, the soul, which has the mind, the staging area for information we receive, perception of things, understanding and knowledge. And then we have the picture of the heart. Now that's where we take things in. It becomes part of our memories, part, part of our vocabulary, our categories, our norms and standards, our viewpoints. The point is in your mind, you so like it, for instance, in your mind, you can hear all that stuff about the pride parade or whatever it is, right? You can hear all that, but it doesn't become part of you. 
because you never let it get into your heart. You know, it never becomes part of your norms and standards. It never becomes part of your viewpoint. It never becomes part of the categories of things you understand and so on. So the mind is going to perceive all these things, everything that we have in the world around us. But the question is, what goes into our heart? And then we have scar tissue, which is all the damage to our soul that's occurred over time, not only when we were an unbeliever, but even as a believer. So let's go through this quickly. First of all, if we have positive volition, we basically have a barrier up to this worldly fleshly garbage. When it tries to come in, like that news report about the uh, pride parade, boom, that's what happens, right? It comes in, we just re- we reject it. It's like, boop, nope, that's garbage. That's garbage. Not going not gonna to do anything with that. The Holy Spirit, right, works with us with godly biblical truths and helps us to understand those things, right, as these godly biblical truths come in. You've got to realize, we, this is one thing that we need to constantly realize. We think, we, we think we're so smart, but the reality is in order to truly understand the things of the Word of God, we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand. So he does. He helps us understand the godly biblical truths which we allow to, be, to come in. However, inadvertently inadvertently, that's what Marsha was talking about, inadvertently, some of this still sneaks in there, right? Some of this still sneaks in there. And what this can be, this barrier, by the way, is there could be a movie that you're not going to watch because you know it's garbage, so you don't even watch it. A book somebody suggests and you find out what it's about, you know, I'm not even going to read that. That's trash, right? That's what this idea is here. But this right here is the idea of you're, you know, you, you're watching the news or whatever happens, and here comes some of that garbage, well, if you have positive volition, there's going to be a barrier also between your mind, again, where you perceive everything, and your heart. You're not going to allow the garbage, the worldly fleshly garbage, to get into your heart. Instead, as a function of faith, again, by means of the Holy Spirit, the biblical truths, which are in purple there, the biblical truths go into our heart, right? We actually receive the things of the Word of God. And it's all, if you notice, we have the Holy Spirit not only in the initial perception of it, but also in the faith part of it where it becomes a part of our memories, part of our vocabulary, our categories, our norms and standards, our viewpoints. The Holy Spirit's involved in that as well. Then as another step of faith, right, the first function of faith, by the way, what is that function of faith? They heard the word, but they did not believe it, so it didn't benefit them, right? The idea is if we hear the word of God, we have to believe it. That's this first step of faith. We have to believe what God's word says, and then it becomes part of us. Then there's another step of faith, which is where we take the things that we've learned from the word of God, and we apply it to our lives. That's a second step of faith. The first one is to believe what the word says. It becomes part of you, integrated into your soul. Then you have to apply faith once again in order to have application in your life and what happens that's when we see the fruit of the spirit that's when we are bearing forth fruit of the spirit it's all at that point being manifest in our daily walk now another cool benefit and i had to abbreviate this because it was such a small arrow that's the holy spirit again working in us all these things that we have learned from the word of god and by the way as a function of making application in our lives Now, the Holy Spirit takes all of that and it actually shrinks the scar tissue. Do you see that? 
So the idea is there's things in our soul damaged from things that we've experienced in our lives in the past. And as a function, as a function of the Holy Spirit working together with the truth of God's word, those things are minimized. And what that can even be, for example, is I'll give you a specific example. Maybe there is something because of your past. There's something that's a trigger for you. Right. So something happens and boom, it triggers something. And now all of a sudden you become angry, you become jealous, you become whatever it is. Right. You have a trigger as God works on you. And his his word. Transforms us by the renewing of the mind. That trigger may go away. In other words, something that used to trigger you. Is no big deal anymore. It happens. It's like, okay, that doesn't bother me because God has worked on you to the point where it's no longer a trigger. Now, the scar tissue didn't go away and and that takes time. Eventually it does go away, but the scar tissue is minimized. That means there's still other things that bother you, still other things that you struggle with. But at least you see that the, the damage that you've had to your soul over time is now beginning to be minimized. It goes away. And this is all, by the way, this is all biblical. This is all from the scriptures. Now, what this does, if we function this way, is we have an increased capacity for agape love. This is what we find, is that we become more and more and more, as we, as we develop in this way, we have an increased capacity for agape love, which is what God has designed for us. We should be able to have love not only for those who we are compatible with, but also those who we don't even really like. And that happens as we mature in the faith. As all of that takes place, we begin to have more and more capacity for love. Now, what about the opposite case where you see the V minus here? This is where we have negative volition, right? Maybe it goes back to what Bobby was saying. Maybe we haven't sinned yet, but now our volition is in such a place that we're not really fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're not really uh, focusing on uh, the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Now what happens is we actually inadvertently have kind of put up a barrier to the godly biblical truths. And so as those try to come in, those get rejected. So, for example, an, an idea of, of, a, of a negative volition in this regard would be uh, you get up on a, a Sunday morning and, you know, you just your back hurts a little and you're kind of tired and you think, well... I'm not going to go to church today. And it's not that big a deal, right? In your mind, you're thinking, that's not that big a deal. I study the Bible all the time. I got it under control. I don't need to go to church today. So I'm not going to go and listen to the to the preaching of the pastor. I'm not going to go take my time to hear any of that. So you basically have said, it's like I was talking about the movie that you don't want to watch or the book that you don't want to read. Now you're saying, well, I don't really need to get, I don't really need the word of God, right? I can do without that. Well, what happens then is you basically open the door for this worldly, fleshly garbage to come into your soul. And when you do, this is important. This is really important because believers don't realize they make this mistake. Remember that we're talking about believers here. If this worldly, fleshly garbage comes in, you have to have another step of faith where you believe it. You believe it. And when you believe it, then it starts to become part of your heart, your memories, your vocabulary, your categories, your norms and standards. Like, for example, if the Bible, so the, if the Bible tells us, I'll just give you a simple example. The Bible tells us that on the outside, and I mean, I'm stretching. I'm stretching as much as I can. I feel like a balloon stretching like this, right? On the outside, this earth is 20,000 years old. On the outside, that's pushing the timelines back. 
Do you believe that or do you believe when you watch something on television and it says that uh, this has formed over millions and millions of years? Which one do you believe? But, but I'm telling you right now, there are Christians who watch that History Channel show that talks about millions and millions of years. And the next thing they know, they're talking about it to their coworkers. Yeah, this, this happened millions and millions of years ago. So you put, in other words, you believed it, right? You believed what you heard. And that changes the way you see things. And then as another function of faith, you actually then make application of that worldly fleshly garbage. And what happens? You're looking at the deeds of the flesh, which, by the way, we've just been looking at this in our Galatians passage, right? The deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. So what you've done is not only if you believe what you heard, you now put it into application in your life. Well, then what happens is, as a function of that change that happens in your heart, guess what's going to happen to the scar tissue? You're actually creating more damage. What's that? It thickens. It gets worse. That's exactly right. Your scar tissue gets worse because what you've done is you've bought into this worldly, fleshly garbage, and it has produced damage. Now, what about if a believer is in this state? Is God going to just say, oh, well, I don't have anything to do? No. Instead, what happens is the Holy Spirit works together with our human spirit and convicts us, right? Convicts us of what we're doing, that what you're doing is not right. So this is the convicting ministry of the God, the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens then is since we're negative, I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe I'm the only one, right? I, I know the Holy Spirit's convicting me and I go, whatever, <laughs> right? Talk to the hand, right? Talk to the hand, whatever, well, that's God doesn't just give up at that point either. What happens is he basically turns up the volume. See, that conviction gets worse and worse and worse. And I when I say worse, I mean stronger. It's, it's better, actually, because he's trying to get us back on course. It's, 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 in, it's increasing. So he's going to convict you more and more and more that what you're doing is wrong. And then at some point, if you don't give if you don't respond to that conviction, you're going to end up with what's called hardness of heart. That's if you don't respond to the conviction, right? Obviously, the best possible scenario is you respond to the convicting ministry of the Spirit and you get back in the previous slide. You're back where we were before, right? That's where you, what's what's supposed to happen. But if you resist it, and by the way, in my own spiritual walk, I had a long period of what I call walkabout, using the Australian term of walkabout. I was, I was off in walkabout for a long, long time. And so instead of responding to the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, I just kept walking in my sin. And as a result of that, I created a hardness of heart and I, and I damaged myself with the scar tissue and everything else. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with that? I think it's a powerful little set of slides there that really gives us a picture of what's going on. And it fits well with uh, you know, what we've been looking at in terms of this Right. That's we talk about It's critical to abstain from the fleshly lusts. It's critical to walk by means of the spirit. All the things that we've been talking about here, that slide speaks to that. It speaks to that. Those two slides speak to that idea. Very important. All right. Uh, We actually need to stop here pretty soon. Let's take a look at one or two points here and then we'll move on. uh, and We'll go ahead and close in prayer. Our spiritual life is a continual battle between the flesh and the spirit. And as a result, we may, do, we may do things that we do not want to do. In fact, I may just read this one passage and then we'll stop here. Here's the thing. I wish I could tell you something different. 
I wish that I could tell you that at some point in your Christian walk, uh, Satan gives up and walks away and says, all right, well, I'm not going to win that one. Uh, I'm just going to let God have that one. I wish that I could tell you that at some point the, the temptations of the flesh, the noise of Satan's world and so on and so forth would all go away and you have this wonderful existence apart from all of this. But it doesn't happen. It's not what the Bible tells us about. In Romans 7, verses 14 through 25, Paul, arguably one of the, one of the greatest uh, examples of a church age believer that we have in our scriptures describes the struggle. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I myself am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am accomplishing, I do not comprehend. For I am not practicing what I like, but I am doing what I hate. But since I do what I do not like, I agree with the law, attesting that the law is good. So now, I am not the one accomplishing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, I have to emphasize every time I read this passage, Paul is not abdicating responsibility. He's not saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not responsible for this. He's saying that he's over here wanting to serve God and the sin nature is wanting him to serve it, right? And so he's saying, look, it's, it, when he says I, he's talking about the new self. He's talking about his new self, which has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. He's, his new self is not the one, but sin which dwells in me. For I know very well, this is what I talked about earlier, verse 18, For I know very well that something not good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire is present in me, but the accomplishing of the good is not. For the good that I like I do not do, but I practice the evil that I do not like. But since I myself am doing the thing I do not like, I am not the one accomplishing it. But notice what he says. He says, since I myself am doing the thing which I, the thing I do not like, I am not the one accomplishing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, the first part of that verse, he says, I'm the one doing it. But he's saying, look, it's the sin which dwells in me that's, that's got me there. I discover then the law that evil is present in me, the one who desires to do good. For I delight in the law of God in my inner self. Now we're getting to it, right? My inner self, the new self, and my inner self. But I observe a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive within the law of sin, which is in the members of my body. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? This is, this is what he's crying out. Now, this is a very mature believer, very mature believer. Who will set me free from this, the, this body of death? Then verse 25, here's the beautiful part of all of this. After all this that he's saying, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, my flesh is serving the law of sin. The first part, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, God has actually made provision for this. But he talks about the inner struggle. It never stops. It never stops. You're always going to be having that struggle going on because of the sin which dwells in our flesh. We'll come back next time and look at that temptations passage that I talked about in James 1. Uh, it's temptations. The temptation itself is not sin. It's the succumbing to the temptation that is sin. You will be tempted. But being tempted, what, is, what does the scripture say? I'll finish with this. Did Jesus ever sin? No. But you know what the scripture says? He was tempted even as we are, yet without sin.
So temptation is not a sin. Giving in to the temptation is sin. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to go back and review the principles that we looked at a week and a half ago. And thank you for the opportunity to expand upon what we had learned and seen. And thank you for just the precious truth of your word. That just is, It's just so wonderful the way it nourishes us, uh, blesses us. Help us to be those who are not idle, neutral, uh, that we are those who have our eyes fixed on you, those who are walking by means of the Spirit, those who are glorifying you with the way that we live our lives. Help us to be true disciples of Christ rather than just Christians wandering around the world in some sort of malaise. Father, we ask that you would continue to give us the fervor, the interest, the zeal in order to pursue the things of your precious word and pursue our, uh, the things of your will in our lives that we would, again, not only be pleasing in your sight, but bring honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and holy name we pray. Amen.